Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Jim Grady and I'm here with Lou Weiss, who's president of All Metals and Forge Group. He's the founder of Manufacturing Talk Radio. His company manufactures open die forgings and seamless old rings. You can find them at steelforge.com. Joining us from the launch of the flagship reports is the author, Dr. Chris Keel from Armada Corporate Intelligence. He and his partner, Keith Prather, put together a brilliant executive briefing that they've been kind enough to share with us on the flagship reports. Chris, thanks for joining. You're welcome. Thank you. So the burning question on everybody's mind, and Chris also contributes to our easing called Manufacturing Outlook, is, is there going to be a recession? And if not, why not? Very good. The answer to the question is actually pretty simple. No, we are not heading for a recession. Um, we are indeed heading for a downturn, but there's a difference. And really, we've seen a lot of hype around inflation, around recession. Not that these are not issues. I mean, obviously they are, but, and I hate to be one of those that pokes at the media at every opportunity but you know the old adage is if it bleeds it leads and it's kind of the same with economic news everything has to be overblown and there's a tendency to to get very excited over things and i also end up cautioning people to be a little careful about who they're listening to and i and i'm not gonna point fingers but in the last couple of days for example there was a gentleman from an oil trading company that was pontificating about how oil prices were hitting for this parabolic curve 180 bucks 200 a barrel into the world is nigh and you know very compelling until you start to realize who he works for who he's the ceo of this company carries Russian oil by sea. The very type of transportation that the Europeans are planning to embargo by the end of this year. So there is indeed an end of the world scenario, his business. But for the rest <laughs> of us, probably not. I mean, this is kind of an overt attempt to sort of dissuade the Europeans from engaging in this embargo because it would certainly hurt him. Does an embargo of Russian seaborne oil mean the end of the world from an energy perspective? No, it does not. But does it affect his business? Absolutely. So as you listen to people, you sort of have to figure out what's what's in it for them. The good news is that I don't really work for anybody. Um, so <laughs> it's it's like my, my, my opinions are kind of my own. Um, and we're usually in a position that it may be bad for one client, but it's good for another. So, hey, um, we're, 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 <laughs> we're covered either way. Um, so I'm objective well, and you can believe well, me. Well, being that we don't pay you, so we're yes. trying to get that out right now. We don't <laughs> exactly. pay you, so what you say on our show has nothing to do with uh, reality. No, it's all, you know. <laughs> But it's exactly truthfulness it is it is it is unvarnished so back to the issue of whether or not we're facing a recession a couple of things to watch when it comes to recessionary behavior is kind of how the fed is reacting and one of the things that the new york fed does is track 
the different factors that lead to a recession and they give a percentage probability of recessionary activity. When it gets up around 20%, that's when the Fed begins to seriously worry. It's currently at 3.8. So we're 17% away from those conditions that would signal recession. And basically what you get when you get a recession is the Fed reacting to inflation by jamming interest rates up ever higher in order to slow down the economy that's not a very delicate operation. The chances are they will slow it too much and you end up with the recession that everybody fears. The Fed is simply not indicating that it wants to do that at this stage. It is certainly raising rates. They're going to probably be around three, three and a half percent maybe by the end of the year. But prior to the 2008 recession, rates were at five and 6%. And historically, they have been closer to 5 or 6% than where they've been for the last 10 years. We've just gotten used to having rates very, very low, and that feels normal. But for those of us with a few years on us, <clears throat> not pointing any fingers at myself, I remember when rates were a lot higher than this. You know, I remember inflation. I remember high rates. It's not out of the realm of historical possibility. For those young'uns who have just basically experienced the last 10 years, you have been living in kind of a false reality for a while. Not to blow the, uh, the, uh, the minds of those who are listening, I remember something like 17%. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do too. I do remember the 17. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, almost yeah. like you can't work enough hours to stay ahead, ahead of the game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are those of us that have vivid nightmares still of Paul Volcker, cigar clenched <laughs> between his teeth, kind of going, I'm going to kill inflation dead. And he did and threw us into recession for two years. We're not looking at that at this stage, and we are still, gone. yeah, he's gone. And still, the big challenge with inflation at this stage, we all know, it's it's the energy sector, it's supply chain. There are some some push there from money supply. I mean, year we could go on for days about stuff like this, but years from now, we're going to look back on 2020 and realize that virtually everything we did that year was wrong. You know, we didn't understand what we were dealing with. The shutdown was a stupid idea from day one. And even the stimulus was a stupid idea because it didn't really stimulate. We were trying to put money into the economy. That's when you do when you're worried about a recession. But when you shut down everything at the same time that you give people money, it's not going to work. Um, people are going to save it because they have no choice. And then it all comes cascading out in 2021 and sets us up for inflation. So the textbooks will have a field day with the 2020 pandemic. Let's put it that way. I'm kind of enjoying the idea of inflation <laughs> yeah. as, as compared to recession. Right. Because I look at inflation as a profit motive. Mm -hmm. My costs go up, my price goes up. The costs go up more, my price goes up more. So yeah, it's tough for the uh, little housewoman, housewife woman and the families and everybody like that. But business, it's great. 
Yeah, and one thing to be aware of, inflation is what promotes more production. I mean, if you're an oil producer right now and you're a marginal oil producer, you're in Guinea-Bissau or Angola or Ecuador, there was no point whatsoever in your producing oil a year or two ago. The prices were so low that you couldn't make any money at all. Right now, you can make a lot of money. And so all of a sudden, that production is starting. Companies that have been stuck for 10 years with not enough profit, not enough revenue to really justify expansion, they're now looking at higher prices and they're in a position to react to that demand. Farmers, I mean, I'm in Kansas and if you look at what the farmers are doing right now, they see the price that has gone up in wheat and corn and everything else. Well, they're planting as much as they possibly can because that's going to be a big profit for them towards the end of the year. They are also, however, paying higher prices for fertilizer and fuel. You don't want inflation to get completely out of control, but the dirty little secret has always been a little bit of inflation is good. It encourages competition. It encourages production. It can get too carried away, and it can get to the point that it clamps down on consumer spending. And we're probably a little closer to that than we would like to be at this stage. But, you know, even in the great scheme of things, if you really want to see people move away from fuel-guzzling vehicles, make gas expensive. And then all of a sudden, people are like, no, tell me about that Prius of yours. I'm terribly interested. I'm thinking of giving up my Hummer again. You know, it's just, it's, it's practical. In view of the fact that California, one town in California this weekend, hit $10 a gallon. Mm -hmm. uh, and soon they're going to be drinking it because they don't have water. So right, you know, exactly. start drinking, it's going to be like buying a bottle of whiskey, you know, a gallon of gas and, you know, 10 bucks, you'll feel pretty good. Um, the, the point about uh, inflation is, uh, from our standpoint, is that, and I, I said it before, is that business is really good. You've definitely seen a lot of counterintuitive data. I mean, one of the things that we've pointed out on the flagship and, and some of the other stuff that we do, corporate spending is at a record level. Um, it's up almost 8% over what it was last year. It's hitting numbers in the 73 to 80 billion range. You've seen the purchasing managers index continue to gain. Uh, it's still well above 50. It's come off of its peaks, but it's still very much in positive territory. Capacitalization is up. I mean, you're seeing a lot of, of fundamental data that is still pretty strong. There's a bit of a lag. There's gonna be some of the reaction to these higher prices. Probably from the business perspective, the biggest concern is logistics, that freight costs are going up. But even when we look at freight, we're not seeing a freight recession. We're seeing kind of a freight restructuring that, that again, you're, in, you're seeing an encouragement for expansion. There have been 68,000 new trucking companies that have come into existence in the last year and a half. Really? 68,000. Because it's an incredibly easy sector to get into. Somebody says, I want to be in trucking. What do I need? Uh, truck and a CDL. So if I go get a CDL license and a truck, I can be a trucker. Yes, sir. That's all it takes. 
and you can start hauling. So you get people to come in fully intending to get out of the business in another year. They're basically saying, hey, look, there's a capacity issue. I'm going to come out. I'm going to fill it. I'm going to make some money. And then when I start not making money, I park the truck, sell it to somebody else and move on. So we've seen it many, many times. And there is a certain amount of, of creative destruction uh, that happens in inflationary periods. We just haven't been through one for 15 years. Uh, so we've kind of forgotten what it feels like coming out of it you'll see kind of a resettling um some companies will not have survived it others will have profited from it and with any luck will avoid any sort of a serious recession and i think we will i think we are going to see a slowdown probably growth this year that a third of what we had last year but remember last year we grew at six percent and we never grow at six percent so if we're sitting at two percent one and a half percent by the end of this year that's pretty close to normal but it just feels really slow compared to last year no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, chris i want to want to give you a moment to share with our listeners a description of two subscriber products that we have on the web page if they'll go down below the player on our website right. you'll find our links to the aces report and the flagship report can you right. explain those you bet i feel like i should be vanna white and be holding up something you know it's like um so uh, you kid yourself <laughs> yeah, yeah i know i know no yeah i i'm nowhere close you know only only i have a face made for radio which is pretty obvious by now so we have we have two publications that you reference. One is called the flagship. The flagship comes out three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And it is a pretty general economic publication. We cover domestic economics. We cover global economics. We have sectors that deal with with sort of the environmental issues. My partner likes to write about hurricanes. Um, so that's one of his pet passions. Um, we call him Hurricane Boy half the time. Um, <laughs> we, we also deal with geopolitics. Um, many of longtime listeners to the show know that I started out life in the 80s as a Soviet specialist. I was going to spend the rest of my life studying the evil empire work for the agency, be a spook. I learned Russian. I got a degree in Soviet studies, blah, blah, blah. So now I'm relevant again. And, and I'm starting to <laughs> write more about what's going on, whether people want to or not. So the flagship is available to subscribers for a whopping $7 a month, uh, about the cost of a Starbucks caramel macchiato. Um, and, and you're more than welcome to sign up for a free trial. We give you a month to decide if you like it. The other thing that we do is actually a little more interesting for manufacturers because we've developed a strategic intelligence system that's focused on the industrial data that the Fed produces every month. So we look at industrial production and then we look at the different subcategories, aerospace, automotive, machinery, primary metals, fab metals, electronics, the whole nine yards. What's unique about the intelligence system, the man that devised our model for us is a retired lieutenant colonel. 
out of the military and he was in the artillery when he was in the military. And he points out to us and to anyone who will listen that in his previous line of work, accuracy was very important. Um, and it continues to be with our system. We have been 96% accurate on our month to month predictions. It's about a 22 variable model. It's mind numbing in its complexity, but we end up predicting very accurately two or three or four quarters ahead as to what's happening in these sectors. So that also is available as a free trial. You can get two months of this for free. See if you like it. It is 36 pages of charts and graphs and numbers. And it's like, who wouldn't want that to show up in their email? Um, and and then we we go through all those different. And then it's like 70 something per per year for its subscription. So again, it's not a particularly expensive product. Um, we find that manufacturers can use it to do strategic planning and and in some cases kind of explain to their customers why it is their prices are going up. <laughs> so well as I understand it, a good artillery team can put a 105 round into a pickle barrel at a mile. Yep. That's pretty yep. impressive. And yep. Lou, you were on an artillery team. <laughs> I was I pulled the lanyard on a 105 Howard, sir in the field at uh, uh, Watertown, New York, uh, 50 years ago. Excellent. I pulled, pulled the lanyard and I've never heard correctly since. I have tinnitus, loss of hearing. They took yes. me off the gun. Oh, you can't be on the gun anymore. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear for two days. Oh, I can imagine. I can well imagine. And for those people a, who... That's who wants the loudest it. noise I ever heard. Oh, I, I, I am right with you. And those who are like, you know, musical, comedy, whatever fans, it, trivia about Alexander Hamilton, since all of a sudden it's all over the Hamilton was an artillery officer in, in the in the American war. That was his that was his job. So let's hear it for our artillery. Um, yeah, it's it's John, fortunately, yeah, fortunately, John apparently was far enough back that that he didn't pull the lanyard and he can still hear. So <laughs> Boom. It's, it's an incredible thing to hear one of those puppies go off. That's could have been sure. worse, as the uh, governor of uh, Texas says. It could have been worse. I could have been on a 155 millimeter. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So yes, it's 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 everything is relative, right? Right. And speaking of relative, if we're not going into a recession, Chris, how long does this expansion last? We talked to the ISM, and they're they're pretty strong that it might go another year. Yeah, I mean, I would tend to agree with some of those optimistic assessments. We're really dealing with two things that are extremely hard to predict, and I know economists say that all the time. You know, that's our that's our standard response is that that's a complicated question. How can we answer that? We have been dealing with two what we refer to as black swan events. This is a concept that was created maybe 25 years ago to explain why economists are wrong so often. Um, we would would sit there and say, look, it's a black swan. You know, we didn't know what was happening. We couldn't react. And it's unpredictable. Black swan number one was the pandemic in 2020. 
black swan number two was the Ukraine war. You know, we knew something was going to happen. We didn't think it was going to be that dramatic. We were surprised that the Europeans were able to unite around sanctions, blah, blah, blah. So currently we're dealing with an energy crisis that is mostly artificial. We're not short of oil. The world has plenty of oil. It's just that the third largest producer of it can't get it to market. 70% of Russian oil is sitting in storage. Every tank is full. Every pipeline is full. They're using tankers to store oil. What that means is that the very day that there's some settlement to what's going on in Ukraine, a compromise, a ceasefire, something, you will immediately see a reaction on the part of the Western countries to say, okay, we need to encourage Russia to continue down this new path. We have to reward Putin for backing off. We're not going to cut sanctions on their financial sector. We're not going to cut sanctions on the oligarchs. We will cut sanctions on oil and gas because we want the oil and gas. The oil industry has basically said the day that this crisis ends, the per barrel price of oil falls 50 to $60 that day. So it literally goes half. And it would take a few weeks before that cascades through to the refineries. But you would see an immediate reduction of, of energy-driven inflation. The problem is we don't know if that's next week, if it's August, if it's October. Does Russia endure this for another year? We don't know. I mean, we're dealing with a tyrant who doesn't really care what happens to his population. And, you know, his country is suffering. He's not. He's the richest man in the world. So he's like, yes, the peasants are starving. That's why they are peasants. I don't care. And, you know, so it's, yeah, like I said, I used to be a Soviet guy. And so. <laughs> so uh, oil and gas, as it relates to all metals and Ford's group, uh, we used to, prior to or at about the beginning of COVID, $60, $70 a barrel was about where was our sweet spot in supplying new material for new parts mm -hmm. for pumping petroleum and gas and oil and all that. Well, now, I, last week, I think it was at 114. I don't know what it is this week. I don't know if you, you've got a chance to check. It's over 120 now. Okay, so 120. Now, to your point, that 120 minus 60 brings it back down to our sweet spot. Right. So we've lost nothing by it. Right, exactly. And and there are the implications become very complicated because we look at the oil industry and say, why are you not going absolutely nuts producing as much as you possibly can, given what's going on in the world today? And they said, well, yeah, we see the demand. We really do. However, we also see that when this ends, and it will eventually at some point end, we suddenly see a price decrease and a huge one right away. It's going to take eight to nine months, maybe longer, for some of this new production to come to market. And they're saying, what happens if this ends during that period? All of that money we're investing in that new production is now useless because we don't need it. Particularly if you have started to see consumers changing their habits and saying, look, you know, $5 a gallon gasoline has changed the way I do things. You know, I'm 
I'm not traveling as much. Maybe we even start to see people buying less ex less fuel consumptive vehicles. Maybe they start walking more. Who knows? And if you really see a consumer change, then the oil sector says, well, you know, we're not going to see consumption. They're already worried by the fact that 60% of us are still remote workers and we're not commuting. And they count on that commute to underpin demand. Without that commute, that's 92% of how we use fuel in this country is commuting. So is that why California raised their gas over the weekend to $10 <laughs> to make up for the fact that us Easterners aren't driving that much? Yeah, that's that's, you know, part of it. And, you know, I I don't want to go into a rant necessarily on regulations, but California is now. OK, so here's my rant. Regulations change behavior. And one of the things that California has done over the years is try to deal with air quality by demanding certain kinds of fuel. The fuel that goes into California is unique. No other state uses it. And therefore, they are very dependent on a handful of refineries that can produce that grade. And if for some reason that refinery is behind the curve, doesn't get the oil that it needs, it gets overwhelmed, they can't meet demand and the prices go up. You know, we've seen all kinds of, of regulatory, the baby formula shortage. Um, one of the things that was popped up recently is that one of the plants was shut down for contamination issues and it's like okay well you know we don't want baby formula to be contaminated what's the issue the issue was that they had been using red dye which is considered carcinogenic okay well we don't want in the baby it wasn't in the food the red dye was being used on the label <laughs> and and if your hands were wet and you touched the label there was the potential for that to come into the formula and my position is wash your hands before you give the child formula. <laughs> it's like, can't be that tough. And But yet this plan was shut down for several days because of that violation. Regulations make a great deal of sense most of the time, but occasionally they just get off on a tangent and and people forget that there's implications when you do that manufacturers deal with this constantly i mean it's just sometimes the regs make sense and sometimes they don't and they're always expensive chris i you mentioned black swan events earlier and i guess inflation was janet yellen's black swan event mm -hmm. she didn't see it coming inflation where to from here yeah. And her point was, and, and again, this is my media bashing part. She had a very long statement. You know, she had a very detailed discussion of why they seem to have missed inflation. The media didn't pick up most of that. It basically said, oh, look, Janet Yellen said she was wrong. All she said was we did not see inflation and we still don't see inflation from those traditional sources. We are just starting to see a reaction to higher wages. We are just starting to see a little bit of this excess demand that's pushing into the economy. But most of that was last year. I mean, we started 2021 with a $5 trillion overhang in savings. 
we spent it all in 2021. We're consumers, by God. The Americans cannot stand having money in their wallet. It bothers them. They just feel like they have to go buy something now. It's like, oh my God, I have cash in my pocket. I need a $25 coffee. Um, you know, it's like, okay. Um, so, or you could spend that same $25 on three months of the flagship. I mean, come on. But <laughs> what, Yellen, what Yellen was saying is that what we didn't see was the energy crisis. We did not see the impact of those sanctions. We did not see the impact of the supply chain crisis because we were assuming that as the supply chain fixed itself, we would start to see a, a more rational demand and supply. What we weren't prepared for was China moving towards this zero tolerance policy, which shut down their ports. Our ports are no longer congested. They're back to normal. We no longer have a trucking issue. There was a point at which there were 14 loads for every truck on the road. Now there's three. So you still have a little under capacity, but not like we had six months ago. Now the problem is Shenzhen, Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, they're all virtually shut down. Container ships lined up for miles because they're shut down. They can't leave, they can't load, they can't produce. There's not even enough seafarers. You know, we're, we have 1.3 million people working as seafarers. 900,000 of them are from developing countries and they can't get vaccinated. Therefore, they're not allowed to get off the ships when they get into these ports. They can't find people even to serve on the ships. So you've got a ship that's ready to go, but there's no crew. And that's a whole nother topic. I mean, today the headlines were full of the fact that airlines are planning to cut somewhere close to 100,000 flights this summer. Southwest is cutting 20,000. United's going to cut around 20,000. Americans cutting somewhere. No pilots. So, and, and I look at this going, okay, you do realize that age is chronological, that, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're 68, like I am, I'll be 69 next year, not 53. I'd like to go the other way, but that's not an option. So we get older. The pilots have been getting older. They're reaching retirement age. Did you not notice that? You should have noticed that boomers were going to turn 65 when they were born. It just happens. <laughs> so. so what's going to happen to your point that everything is closed in China, open in the US, I would, I might disagree with some of that about the US ports. But the bottom line is, what's going to happen when China totally opens up and all those ships start coming east, and there's going to be a tidal wave on the yep. west coast. And then the line that you're talking about outside Shanghai, is going to be the same line that's outside of Long Beach. Precisely. Um, as we then go what? into the sun, yeah, then we go into having congestion on our end, because not only will we see this flood of ships coming in from China, presumably, but that will also coincide with the negotiations with the ILWU. Those have started and the contract expires in July. Every time there has been a contract with that group, it has gone to port closures. It's bloody. It's nasty. This year is going to be even worse. 
And yeah, so later on this summer, uh, the congestion issue will shift and it will be more a U.S. problem. The good news from all of this, though it's not immediate, is that this is one of the factors pushing reshoring. And companies that are just like, I am so tired of this supply chain nightmare that I have got to find other suppliers. I've got to shift stuff back to the U.S. or at least to Mexico, someplace I have more control over. And But that's not instant. It's not like you can say, well, hey, you know, I'm going to shift over. It's a, a good, stupid example. I was at a conference in Western Kansas, and this guy is, first off, the exemplar of an extended work career, 93 years old, still running his company. He makes these big storage tanks for agriculture. And he said, back when I was a younger man in my 70s, I decided to outsource my valves to China and save some money. Now I can't get the dang things. They're stuck on a ship someplace. I can't finish the tank. The farmers are mad at me because they can't get what they need. So from here on out, if we don't make it in Garden City, Kansas, by God, I'm not going to use it. And this guy shoots his hand up in the audience and says, sir, I used to make your vows. And then you decided to outsource to China. And I can make your vows again. I can supply you by next week. But I'm not going to do that unless you guarantee me that you're not going to go back to China again in the next year or two or three. I want a 20-year commitment. And this guy says, hell, I'm 93. You can have it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. Well, it's always fun talking to you because I'm not sure if we're really talking uh, economy, the economics, politics, this, that, or just horsing around. You know, that's kind of how most people react to me. They never know what I'm talking about. Um, that's, But that's, you know, that's the joy of being an independent economist. You're not really accountable to anybody. Well, it's probably better than when you were a meteorologist and you were 50% of the time wrong. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, back when I was planning to be a Soviet specialist, because, you know, everything you did was trying to study as Churchill would put a riddle wrapped in an enigma you know it's like what are the Soviets doing who the hell knows they don't know they so, don't know right yeah <laughs> <laughs> to me well, Chris this has been a terrific introduction of the flagship reports podcast we're thrilled that you're joining us to put this together for us uh, each month and we certainly look forward to the next show because Frankly, this is a fun podcast to do with you. Thanks for joining us. You're so welcome. And and the way things are going, every month you can guarantee will be different than the last one. Um, so no such thing as steady state these days. Well, at least the jokes will be different. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I, I have I now have this obligation to freshen my material at least once a month. So absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I encourage everyone to go to jacketmediaco.com, find the icon for the flagship reports and drill down to this episode. We'll be building a whole library of podcasts there. Scroll down the page a little further and find those links to the ACES reports and the flagship reports. The subscription rate is so low that just you know, give up the caramel macchiato for one day and get a it's month worth cheap. of information. It's almost cheaper than a gallon of gas. Yeah, I mean, you know. It will be soon. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Bye, all. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.